Hello everyone, my name is Michael and welcome to this week's edition of the Weekly Climate. The Last Cow, October 4th, 2020. Nancy came running toward Catherine as fast as she could. She always did that when Catherine rang the bell. Catherine hugged Nancy. Come on Nancy, it's time to go inside. Catherine tied a leash to her collar and started to walk. Nancy followed her, as she always did. Catherine had bought the farm from a farmer who, after eating cows for band, had to shut down. At that time, the farmer had two cows left, and Nancy was one of them. She was just a calf then, one of the last of a kind to be born for the purpose of slaughtering her. But the government saved her by banning sale of all live ruminant food products. Or, although the government instituted the ban, it was really the rise of synthetic meat that saved her. Looking at the sheer numbers, cows had been one of the most successful species on the planet. However, as the demand for cow meat dwindled, so did the numbers of cows. Still, despite the species numbers dwindling, it was clear that each individual now had a much better life than they used to. In the late 2020s, it became clear that people were never going to let go of meat. And at that time, there were two pathways. Either we could feed cows feed that reduced their methane output and we had to keep them off grass, or we could switch all to synthetic meat. Most countries favor the synthetic meat option as that one also came without further increasing animal cruelty by in addition to slaughtering them also have having to keep them off grass. Synthetic meat was the logical choice because it could also be engineered to contain a multitude of ingredients that made it healthier than ruminant meat. Unfortunately, that had left a lot of farmers without jobs. Catherine was the CEO of Real Food one of the synthetic meat companies that had grown explosively since then. Real food grew real meat from real animal cells, but without the live animal. This was not only completely removed the cruelty of slaughtering live animals, but also enabled the company to tailor different meat products that people were used to. This helped accelerate the transition to synthetic meat right before the ban, and the company obviously took off even more after the ban. To Catherine, the switch was so obvious. The animal cow meat machine was very inefficient. It converted grass to meat very slowly and with a huge output of methane. Real food meat was made in a giant factory powered by solar power and from just a single cell they could grow a 200 gram steak in one week and that time was continuously dropping as the technology matured. They even had a product in their pipeline that enabled people themselves to grow their own meat. This Catherine thought was going to be the blockbuster. After the cow meat ban, Cows had lingered in a weird, persona non grata state in the world. Because even though it was illegal to slaughter cows for the purpose of eating them, they were still here, and they still released methane when they were out on grasslands. Catherine opened the gate to the stable and let Nancy inside. Before this huge side of the farm housed, used to house 50 cows in small enclosures. Nancy had grown too big to be inside the house, so Catherine had remodeled the stable to be Nancy's playground. There were small trees, a couple of big balls that Nancy could push around, and a lot of soft hay that she could lie in. The room was big, big enough that she could run around a bit inside. There were even a couch and a TV such that they could relax together. Catherine let Nancy loose and went into the house to get a bag of her no-gas brand LG feed. Ramen and feed was a heavily regulated business nowadays. Catherine had to register how much feed she fed Nancy each month such that the government could ensure that Nancy's methane output stayed below acceptable levels and she had to document that with receipts from the purchased feed. That included grazing. Nancy was only allowed out on grass for one hour each day and that was documented with a monitor in her collar. Still, 
Catherine was sure that the life Nancy had now was better than the meaningless life in captivity just to be slaughtered. Nancy was still a captive, but at least she was taken care of in, in the style of a five-star hotel. This has been a short story written about what the future might look like in a world where we have solved the climate crisis. Before I leave you to the newsletter, ask yourself this question. Even if climate change wasn't happening, wouldn't you want this future instead? And now for the quick overview. Climate and science, a focus on fires this week with a look at the state of wildfires across the world. Technology, a small fusion reactor design looks promising and China's biggest solar farm went online last week. Startups, spotlight on sustainable food production, which inspired the introduction to this week's newsletter, as well as tree planting drones and Nordic batteries. Investing, more fossil fuel divestment and a wake-up call from the OECD about the messiness of ESG investing. Major carbon emitters. Lots of news about the enemy this week, and the biggest one is probably that the fossil fuel industry is leaving taxpayers with a $280 billion bill for cleaning up their used up wells. Politics. Deeper dives into China's 2060 carbon neutrality pledge and California's ban on internal combustion engine cars. Climate justice. Methane League in Los Angeles affected a low-income neighborhood but was hit for a year, and Mexican farmers revolt because of water exports to the U.S. And other news. Proud Boys and Pretro Masculinity, a headline stolen from Heated, and Catherine Hayhoe gives advice on how to talk about climate change. The Long Overview. For those who want to dive deeper, brace yourselves. The Long Overview is coming. And we start off with Stories We Follow. U.S. Presidential Election. The U.S. is a major emitter and are run by a climate skeptic and fossil fuel friendly person. We need a change. And after Joe Biden was elected as a Democratic candidate, that change has to be him. Hence, we keep a close watch on his climate aspirations. And news from last week. The first presidential debate was on last week, and Trump supporters thought Trump performed the best that any president have ever done. Needless to say, they're the only ones. The rest of us who are logical thinking creatures who believe in such creationists such as truth don't. He did wrote a blazing criticism of the climate debate and points out that the only point during the, the debate that Trump didn't interrupt was during the climate debate. As did Gizmodo's Earther. Grist did a fact check of Trump's climate comments during the debate. And let's just say he doesn't pass with flying colors. He actually proposed to nuke hurricanes as a way to get rid of them. And surprisingly, he's not the only president in the U.S. that have proposed that. Oh man, he just really can't win. On the other side of the aisle, Inside Climate News published a review of what Biden can do to the oil and gas industry. And they conclude a lot, but not as much as many people hope. Finally, Clean Technica provided an analysis of the Obama-Biden administration Trump-Pence pledges and Biden-Harris pledges in terms of climate policy. And a disclaimer about the next story, which is about BP. I should make it absolutely clear that me bringing BP at the top of this newsletter is by no means an endorsement. In fact, I believe this to be yet another fossil fuel industry scam. But if it turns out not to be, then BP will be a model for other fossil fuel industry companies to follow, which is why it is important to bring up here. And if it turns out to be a scam, well, 
then it will be used front and center once again as an example of the fossil fuel industry's many lies. It's therefore a win-win to bring it front and center here. Better Petroleum's BP's climate aspirations. BP has announced that it will slash oil production by 40%. If history teaches us anything, it is that this will be just another load of bullcrap, just like Beyond Petroleum were 20 years ago. But we will see. By putting the story up top here, we aim to track it very carefully. Not a lot of news about BP that I could find this week. But one interesting story is that BP and Shell and many others is still members of the major anti-climate lobby organization. So that's that. And now for some climate and science news. Bloomberg published a look at what the EU are doing to prevent and fight wildfires. And an important conclusion is that forest management obviously does matter. And they show a clear trend that the total burnt area in the Mediterranean has come down since the 1980s. But let's not forget that although forest management does matter for preventing, containing and fighting wildfires, all of these natural disasters from hurricanes to wildfires are getting exacerbated by climate change. And this week Vox provide a great overview of the latest research around this. And more fire news. The Amazon are facing the worst wildfires in a decade. And yet another scary part of the California wildfires is that solar power output has dropped dramatically during the fires. And now for technology news. For the energy transition, fusion is the holy grail. However, it is still expected to take many decades before the first fusion reactor is proven to work. Hence, fusion is not very relevant for the climate crisis. But an optimistic study last week has shown that a new design of a small fusion reactor is, quote, very likely to work. If anybody want to see what a giant solar farm looks like, take a look at the article we post in the newsletter, which reveals how big China's largest solar power plant is at 2.2 gigawatt behemoth. I mean, look at this thing. Look at how huge it is. The solar power plant actually went online last week. And now for some startup news. The Nordic battery factory startup Northville just raised $600 million to expand production capacity and R&D. A Canadian startup Flash Forest has demonstrated their drone platform for planting trees more effectively. And by 2028, they plan to have planted more than 1 billion trees. The Green Tech Festival in Berlin in September showcased a range of interesting approaches to sustainable food production. Among others, a number of cultured meat companies and a company making food out of solar power and air. And now for some investing news. Cambridge University have announced that they are going to divest $4.5 billion in fossil fuel companies. And related to that, the science-based Targets for Financial Institutions initiative launched last week which is yet another, and for this see former newsletters, framework that wants to help asset managers invest sustainably. I have written before about how ESG is both a blessing and a curse, perhaps mostly a curse, and now OECD agrees. ESG is messy and the score a stock gets depends vastly on whichever company one uses to calculate the score. If ESG are to have any positive impact on the climate space, something really needs to happen. Shell stock price fell to the lowest point in 25 years after their climate announcement last week, just like BP's did. 
And now for some news about major carbon emitters. Okay, there was a bunch of quite important news from the enemy last week, so I decided to break my three item rule quite extensively for this part, but we're going to keep them short. So here we go. Firstly, Inside Climate News published a look at how Exxon is using carbon capture to maximize profits and dig up more oil. Enhanced oil recovery is a well-known use of carbon capture, and it's sad to see this important technology being mixed with the fossils. And Total joins BP in predicting end of peak oil in the 2030s. Let's just hope they're right. Greentech Media published a detailed view of the building industry's emissions, right from materials production to actual construction of buildings. And obviously the UK government has met with fossil fuel executives prior to COP26, as expected by our rotten political system. A group of law students have published a report showing how the top 100 law firms are working for the fossil fuel companies and urges them to stop this despicable behavior. Finally, Carbon Tracker have released a report saying that taxpayers will be left with a bill of $280 billion for cleaning up and closing used up oil and gas wells. Thank you, fossil fuel industry. You sure are a blessing on our planet. And now for some news about politics. It's the week after China's surprising 2060 carbon neutrality pledge, and a lot of analysts have gotten the time to reflect. Here's one article that compares climate pledges for different regions, such as EU, California and China. And a Chinese research institute also published a plan for how to reach the 2060 target. Finally, Chris has a very nice overview of China's climate pledge, which they display in just two graphs. And analysts have also had the time now to analyze California's 2035 ban on internal combustion engine cars. And not surprisingly, they conclude that key to how this amount of electric cars will work on the grid depends on when the cars charge and how they can help the grid in time of need. Now, climate justice. It has been discovered that the city of Los Angeles has hit a methane leak for more than a year, and obviously they managed to do that because the leak happened in a low-income neighborhood. Mexican farmers currently revolt because of the country's decision to export water to the U.S. during a very water-scarce period. This also seems incredibly unfair. And finally, a great portrait on Leah Thomas, who appeared in Yale Climate Connection. Leah Thomas promotes an anti-racist environmentalism, something that the two incidents prior to this one could probably learn from. And now for all the other stuff that we couldn't fit into any other category than the other category. During the presidential debate, Trump called out to white supremacist groups such as the Proud Boys that they should stand by. Heated reveals that these groups are not only a waste of space and CO2 emissions, okay maybe that was me saying that, but they also actively fuel climate denial. Site Magazine brought an interview with Catherine Hayhoe about how to talk about climate change. It's a really interesting read and contains a number of very good pointers for everyone involved in this space. And now for your listening pleasure, podcasts. A short disclaimer this week. Due to some family events, I did not have time to listen to all of these. Still, they look interesting enough that they definitely stay in my queue for the coming week. Drilled, Season 5, Episode 2, The Colonizers. In this episode, Amy looks at the early days of oil colonialism starting in the 1960s. Inherited, Episode 
the party poopers. This episode looks at how young activists' mental health have been affected by the climate crisis. How to save a planet. Episode, making Republicans environmentalists again. Another US-focused episode about the history of climate denial in conservative politics. The Energy Gang. The episode, what's behind China's zero carbon aim. The gang dives deep into China's 2060 carbon neutrality pledge, as well as California's 2035 internal combustion engine car ban. The Interchange. The episode, will California's gas car ban boost America's flat EV market? This week, they also dive into California's 2035 ice car ban, but this time they will look at how it will affect the EV market in the US. My Climate Journey. Episode 124, Nicholas Pinkowski, co-founder of Nitricity. Jason interviews Nicholas, who is the co-founder of Nitricity, a company that produces renewable on-site nitrogen fertilizer. That's it for this week, folks. If you feel like I'm missing something, please let me know at michael at weeklyclimate.com. And if you enjoy this newsletter, don't forget to share it with your friends, co-workers, and people you think could benefit from reading or listening to it. And if you got directed here by a friend or another link on the internet, don't forget to subscribe either to the podcast and or the newsletter. See you all next week.